Hello, Jack. Hi, mate. How's it going? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, not too bad at all. Keep it well? Yeah, I'm pumped about this. Absolutely pumped about 80s part two. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff, mate. Um, it's 80s part two. Obviously, 80s was... Uh, one of the critics reviewed the 80s as one of the worst decades for film. I mean, you and I absolutely disagree with that entirely. I um, think it's one of the best decades for, for film. So I thought we'd have a little recap on where we got up to. Um, actually, before I do that, I, I always like to see if you've watched anything interesting over the last uh, week or two since we last spoke. I haven't watched any films, but I've I started to watch Snowpiercer, which is oh, the yeah, Netflix okay. original of the film. Um, have you seen the film then? No. Right. Have you? No, but that the film's supposed to be all right. Yeah. So it's, it, I like the concept. The the world has ended because global warming made it too hot, and the scientists tried to cool it down. They went too far, so it's like minus a hundred degrees everywhere, and yeah. the only thing that's left is this thousand carriage train that's going round the earth with what's wow. left of civilization on the train. Um, nice. Dystopian yeah. concept. I like that. Exactly, but I'm only sort of an episode and a bit in and I've been watching it in like 20 minute blocks but Jennifer Connelly's in it and she looks incredible um, which she must be in her 50s now I think yeah but still it's yeah. Jennifer Connelly so exactly. happy days that's good I've um, what about you? interestingly I watched a Jennifer Connelly film <laughs> so we had family film time and uh, through Labyrinth on yes I don't know if you've heard of it well, how did that go down in the household? Actually, it went down really well, and um, my kids thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, I know it's one of your favourite 80s films. It's in, it's one of your three 80s films, because it's yeah. um, the Jim Henson sort of stuff going on there, David Bowie. Um, David Bowie just bursts into song, like, about 25 minutes in. But it's kind of like <laughs> the only song he's got. And I'm like, is this a David Bowie vehicle for... <laughs> for his voice or, or so. what it's just really weird it's just out of nowhere and I'm like this is mental but I absolutely loved it and I, I think I, I think I've only watched it once since I went to the cinema and I was like yeah I wish I'd watched this sooner again yeah. I really enjoyed it but it's it good. is so wow. good uh, I also watched um, have you seen The Hurt Locker? yeah yeah that's a good film yeah I was on TV the other night I was like yeah, yeah this is really decent got a young Renner. Renner in it. yeah 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 so I watched that uh, surprised it didn't make it into our top five war films actually or even get an honourable venture because it's a really good film um, and I also watched I Give It A Year which is a rom-com with Rafe Spall in it and Rose Byrne Very good. British sort of thing yeah I mean it's kind of embarrassment humour but worth worth a punt not a top five comedy but definitely got giggles in it, it's good um, and the other thing I watched and I Box box set. It's the uh, Breaking Bad spin-off, Better Call Saul. Have you delved into that at all? No, I'm 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 thoroughly enjoyed Breaking Bad. Mm. I just haven't got the time for it. But is it worth watching? Um, yeah, I'm I'm about four or five in, and it's it's good fun. It's character-driven. Jimmy McGill is his name, and he goes. Um, he, <laughs> He, he's um, he, he renames himself as Saul Goodman, doesn't he? As yeah. in, it's all good, man. <laughs> Saul Goodman. <laughs> <laughs> it's, good. <laughs> it's all right. Um, 
So that's what I've been watching. Anyway, recap on the 80s. You had, right, here's your top three out of five. Yeah. Can you remember what you had? Obviously, you had Labyrinth. Uh, Labyrinth. Um, I know that I sat on the fence um, and put Gremlins in. I don't know if I regret that yet or not, but... That's a great shout, mate. Gremlins is brilliant. And then the Goonies. So I'm happy with my three so far. It's just, you know, 140 honourable mentions, but... Yeah, it's good, though. Yeah, it's all right. As you said, 80s is an amazing decade. Yeah. Um, So you got two to come. I had Aliens and The Breakfast Club. Yeah. (laughs) Two, Two incredible films. Two incredible films. My third one, which is going to be The Elephant Man. So, um, get straight we, into it then. We could, we could just crack straight on with that. Yeah. Have you seen The Elephant Man? Uh, not for a very long time. Okay. But you've seen it. I yeah. think it just creeps into the 80s as well, that one. So, um, yeah, black and white film, a true life story about, I suppose, um, a guy who grows up with um, physical deformities. Um, yeah. What a sad, sad film. Um, but some great acting in it. It's got Anthony Hopkins as the doctor in it. Um, and John Hurt does one of his amazing turns as, as uh, John Merrick, the actual elephant man himself. Yeah. Yeah. And I just thought, yeah, it's an amazing story. I, I think it's got some other good actors in it as well. But um, I don't, I don't, it's directed by David Lynch as well. And it's kind of like, wow, like a a heartfelt biopic by one of the the darkest movie directors on the planet does this sort of really soft, touching film about um, a guy who sort of like lives his life with deformity. So, yeah. So is it, is it black and white just for effect then, or? Yeah. I th- <laughs> Let's get some info on, on the old elephant man. Um, Filmed in black and white. Why was it filmed? Because I'd love to Google it, but obviously I don't want to cheat. No. I'm in the hot seat for the year budget box office. I think it's filmed in black and white because they wanted to get that sort of Victorian feel okay. around it because it's set in like the late 18, uh, sorry, late 19th century, so 1880s or something like that. Um, I always remember um, the Bare Naked Ladies song, If I Had a Million Dollars. Yeah, so I'd buy you John Merrick's remains. All those yeah. bones. That's it, mate. Yeah, it's a great song, great band. Nice yeah. and the bare naked ladies. Superb. The band. <laughs> or just bare naked ladies. Or just bare naked ladies. Yeah. So that's 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 one of my um. Yeah, that was in. I think it's probably a bit left field, but an eighties film. David Lynch, who did things like A Razor Head. Okay. More Holland Drive, Wild at oh, did he do Wild at Heart as well? He did Blue Velvet. Yes. So that's a real departure for him actually, I think. So yeah, it's uh, quite a good film. How, um, how old was John Merrick when he died? I, I think I think he was reasonably old. I don't know his, his exact age, but it's really sad because he, he was he was a um he was in the freak shows in the Victorian age, and I think he grew. I think he was born okay, but by the age of about six or seven, he started to de- develop these um, um, sort of lesions or whatever they were on his head. I think he probably misdiagnosed whatever it was. And anyway, captured by the freak shows, um, travelling around, um, and then he was. I think that's how he got his name, the Elephant Man. But I read somewhere that his mum apparently was kicked by an elephant during pregnancy. So I don't know if that's how the Elephant Man name came about as well. 
Is that true, though? Yeah, I think so. God. Um, <laughs> so I've just looked up. I've looked up Joseph Merrick because I think that's allowed. Um, Is it Joseph Merrick, not John? Joseph, Merrick? not John. Yeah. Right. Um, erroneously called John Merrick. Um, died when he was twenty-seven. Okay, so average. <laughs> Victoria, no, well below average. Um, really interesting. Like, I, I wish I've, I'm going to go watch this. I think after this because. Mm. Um, I'm fascinated by things like this. Well, I th it's got some great stuff. I read about um, the makeup. It sort of like took hours and hours and hours for um, for them to put John Hurt in this makeup, and it was obviously quite a lot of uh, time in the chair. That it's quite heavy. This makeup that he just got completely exhausted, so he had to do one day on and one day off on the film yeah. set. Um, and I think they got the actual remains of John Merrick's to. For, for the cast, for some of the prosthetics as well. So, bare naked lady, John Merrick's remains. Yeah, so, oh God, this is horrible, mate. So basically, he died in his sleep because his yeah. head was so heavy. That... And I, yeah, that's right, yeah. And it's like, so, so asphyxiation, I think, because he, he had to sleep in a chair. Um, so he couldn't, like, lie backwards, as you say, because of his head. And in the film, it's kind of alluded to the fact that he's kind of captured from the freak shows. He goes to um, Anthony Hopkins, who plays Dr. Treves, I think. And then he kind of, I wouldn't say, say saves him, but stops him being a science experiment and kind of mm. actually looks after him. They become friends. He starts taking him to like shows and stuff. He gets well respected. He starts writing some really nice stuff and building um, small... Um, buildings out of matchsticks and stuff like that and he's quite articulate in his writing and the way he speaks he's like I'm not an elephant I'm a man and all that sort of stuff yeah. um, and at the end of the film um, spoiler alert <laughs> because he said he died anyway Sorry, yeah. I don't know if he says the Lord's Prayer or something okay. and then he goes you know it's almost like a good night and then he lies down and it's alluded to the fact that he knows he's going to die so he's like okay. committing suicide it's like he's now reached the point where he's had everything that life could possibly give him in terms of his experiences. But that's how it's. I, I, I wow. felt it. Fairly heavy, but is it is it like a is it a feel good film then, or is it more sort of? I wouldn't say it's a feel good film. It's yeah. just a biopic, um, and okay. it's kind of kind of heart wrenching, really. Yeah. I think John Hurt won an. No, he didn't win an Academy Award. I think he was definitely nominated for it. Um, but yeah, 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 it's uh, nice. Definitely worth a punt, mate, if you haven't seen it for a while. Or... Yeah. If you have, so yeah, that's good. So you've given me a slight clue. You said it's squeezed in the 80s. So I'm going to obviously say 81. Yeah, um, let me have a look. Um, so what are you going for, 80 or 81? 80. It is 1980. Yes! Correct. And it's known as a biography drama. Okay. Um, it's actually two hour, over two hours long. I didn't realise it was that long. That's how absorbed I was by it. Um, so, and what we normally do here is obviously do the um, the budget to make and the and the and how much it returned at the um, the box office. So, do you want to have a punt at how much that film cost to make? Yeah. I don't know. It's cheaper to do it in black and white than colour. Well, I guess it depends on the film. But I would have thought the makeup, by the sounds of it, might have been quite expensive. Um... So in the 80s, do you say Anthony Hopkins, John Hurt? 
Yeah, saying? but I think I think if you think Anthony Hopkins, like, yeah, he he'd probably been around for a while by then. John Hurt was, I think he was in the middle of. No, he just finished probably making Alien then, if it was 1980, because I think Alien's 79 or something like that. But I yeah. don't know whether he was a big name. Okay, uh, ten million. Not bad. Five. Okay. Well, well that's not bad. Hundred percent out. <laughs> and then um, box office. So what that return? Would you reckon? Nineteen eighty. Ten million. Five. Ten million. Yeah. Okay. That's um, just over twenty-six. Oh, okay. That's not bad, is it? Wild guess. Yeah. Um, mate. Yeah. Uh, for for a biopic that's quite a sounds like quite a moving thing, but you know you don't necessarily take the kids to see that, do you? Um, Probably not. That, that you would have thought that at some time if they're into film, they'll come across it and watch it, like like yeah. I did, like you did. Um, but yeah, worth, worth worth a little view that one. And it's how, not what, like... what what reasons has that squeezed in your your five? I think it was just something that really affected me, and it's. Okay. Was... Probably the first time I came across um, David Lynch as a director, and also Anthony Hopkins and John Hurt. And I, who else is in this? Um, let me know. Anne Bancroft's in it. You got John Gielgud in it. Oh wow! Michael Sir Michael Elf. Hey, Sir John Gielgud. Sir John Gielgud. Beg your pardon. Michael Elphick. Um, Dexter Fletcher's in it. Oh yes. <laughs> It's like he's got Bugsy Malone. Yeah, and done some great stuff, hasn't he? And become a really good director as well. So yeah, anyway, that's my third third one in the eighties list. Um do you want to hit me with one? Mate, I so I've been so looking forward to this and I, every every one of these films that I've picked I think are incredible. And the three that I've already outlined are good, but these next two are like the icing on the cake for me. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm really so- looking forward to this. The first one I'm going to talk about is Stand By Me. <laughs> All right, Stand By Me. Which isn't, isn't a kid's film. Um, it's not a kid's film, but it's got kids in it. It's, it's a, it's, I, you know, I definitely put it in the coming of age category. Um, although it is, it is obviously a Stephen King book. Yeah. But it's very light-hearted for Stephen King. Light-hearted? Yeah, okay. Um, Downer's adventure drama, Stand By Me, um, and an R rating. Is it? That's got to be. That's got to be wrong. It's got to be a PG, isn't it? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, do a bit of research on that while I'm talking. But this is, yeah. this is hands down. Again, this could squeeze in my top five or ten of all time. Um, Definitely, great. Everything about it for me is just so incredible. It's, it's set in the whatever it is, the fifties, yeah. um, in a, in a tiny town where nothing happens. In uh, I don't know where it is. I know it's Castle Rock. Castle Rock in Oregon. Oregon. Okay. Um, and obviously the story is that one of there's a gang of four kids, best friends, and they one of the, one of them hears their brother talking about finding the body of a, a missing boy on a railroad tracks miles away yeah so the four boys go to try and find the body and it's just this it's just a, uh, the whole film must be what a day day in the lives of these four kids 
um, who go on a, like a hi- overnight hiking trip to to find this body. But it's you know Will Wheaton, who's great. Yeah. Um, Jerry O'Connell, you know, who probably people don't realise that's Jerry O'Connell who plays the fat kid in it. Um, yeah. But he's now you know a Hollywood hunk. Obviously Corey yeah. Feldman, who's immense, and the late great River Phoenix. Like great River um, Phoenix, yeah. But the the cut the you know, there's also uh, quite a young Keith Sutherland in there, um, yeah. okay. and there's a, there's another guy who, are, if you can find the name of him, it's great. But he plays River Phoenix's older brother in the film, who's called I don't I can't remember what he's called. Eyeball, uh, eyeball, eyeball, eyeball. Yeah, he's got something wrong with his eye. It's, um, uh, Fellow called Bradley Gregg. Okay, but he was also in Indiana Jones. Okay. Uh, I think he has a fight scene in Indiana Jones when River Phoenix is playing the young Indiana Jones. Okay. So there's some seven degrees of separation there. Um, but uh, uh, this film just, I love it so much. It, the It's just such a brilliant story. And also, I'm, I'm a big fan of Richard Dreyfus, and he is in it Richard for about Dreyfus, five minutes. Yes. He's in, he's in there as the writer. Yeah. So, like, a group of lads, coming-of-age film, they sort of go on this adventure and um, all about trust and learning about each other and bonding. I think it's really good. Directed by Rob Rayner. Okay. So he's done... We talked about him. I think we talked about him before, yeah. Not so long ago, but I think he's done things like... Um, what's he been involved with? Uh, I'm sure he was in. Did, did he not come up in the Superman two thing where I was like, I they know. had two directors or something? <laughs> I could be talking absolute pile of shite, obviously, because I normally am. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, if I remember, Gordy, the main character who's played by Will Wheaton's older brother, is John Cusack. Oh, right, okay. And he's not in it again for very long. Um, but, the, I mean, the soundtrack on this is so good as well. The soundtrack, I was going to say about the soundtrack, <coughs> because it has got that sort of like late 50s stuff. I mean, Buddy Holly's in there. The Dell Vikings. The Silhouettes. Lots of Buddy Holly, yeah. Jerry Lee Lewis. I think there's a bit of <coughs> Michael Jackson in there, uh, Jackson 5 in there as well. Rockin' Robin. Benny King. I could easily, yeah, I could easily just talk about the whole film from start to finish because there's so many incredible scenes in it that have been put together so well um, that I think could be if this if this hasn't been done on the stage, you know, I think it should be. Okay, because there's there's so many great scenes I think that would be good to act out as sort of (laughs) you know for drama or whatever. Yeah. what happened to River Phoenix? What happened to him? Yeah. He died of an overdose. Oh, right, okay. Oh, yeah, he went... What was it in the um, the Viper Rooms nightclub that was owned by Johnny Depp? Or he yeah. owned it as well. Uh, and I, I don't know how... I think I might have got this the wrong way around, but he was... I think he was on heroin, and they tried to give him coke or something to to help him out or something and they got it massively fucking wrong (laughs) whatever they gave him basically killed him quicker wow nice oh here you're having an overdose on drugs here's some more class a for you they tried to be clever to counteract the effect of one of the drugs in his body with another maybe it was speed i don't know um but i mean he was 
he must have been, I don't know, in his early teens in this, and he was. Wow. It, <sighs> Amazing. He was. He was like down as like the next biggest thing, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he would have been, I think, the you know, an actor of a generation. I mean, he debatably could. You know, lots of people say he was very good, but I don't think he reached anywhere near his peak yeah. as a child actor. Yeah. Yeah, he's a child actor, so you don't know, do you? But um, amazing. And like Corey Feldman, yeah. Lots of goonies. Lots of kids making these films in the 80s. That yeah. Keep coming around. It's really good. Um, we're going to do um, a box office budget and, and, and the year it was made. So I'm pretty sure this was either 86 or 87. Um, so you? I'm going to go for 86. So bang, on, bang on the nose there, yes. mate. 1986. You mentioned, sorry, I'm just going to interrupt. The, the, based on a Stephen King film um, yeah. called The Body, which obviously, because they end up finding this body, right? Um, Spoiler. Spoiler alert, the, the amount of film, um, books that Stephen King has done that have ended up as, as movies is just incredible, isn't it? I mean, the royalties that guy must have been like, just yanking the chain and ka-ching, everything's just like coming in, like The Shining, The Green Mile. Um, Carrie. Carrie, I was about to say Carrie, yeah. Christine, Cujo. Yeah. <laughs> just ridiculous what what I, what is crazy clever about this redemption <laughs> what's so clever about this and this you can tell stephen king is almost playing around but obviously the the book is about a writer yeah writing a story yeah is about him as a kid nice. and it flashes back to him as a kid and as a kid, he's obviously a budding writer and tells his friends lots of stories. Yeah. You know, so there's a, great, there's a great story in it where he tells about the, a pie-eating competition <laughs> where this guy, Lardass, eats too many pies, but he drinks like all this shit, <laughs> like, oil and raw eggs and stuff, so he knows he's going to throw up and throws up over everyone. But he's, Stephen King is writing a book about a writer and... It, the writer has a flashback to an emerging writer who's writing stories for his friends. Like, Amazing. I mean, it's got to be autobiographical then, right? Probably, yeah. But it, it <laughs> feels like something that Stephen King has just, like, churned out. But Nuts, isn't it? So good. Rob Reiner, sorry, the, the director, um, uh, he did Nine and a Half Weeks, and then, oh, he's, he's in the... Uh, did... Uh, this is Spinal Tap. Oh, he did the Sure Thing, which was a John Cusack, very minor film, but it was quite—I don't know—quite, quite good. I remember watching that. Um, I mean, sorry, sorry to digress again. If you look at the list of things that Stephen King has written that oh. have been turned into films, it is insane. Insane. It's, Carrie, it's The Shining. Big enough. Yeah, Carrie the Shining, Christine, Children of the Corn, oh, yeah. Stand By Me, The Running Man. Yes. Misery. Yeah, brilliant. That's, that's also directed by Rob Reiner. Okay. Um, Lawnmower Man. Lawnmower Man. Shawshank Redemption. This sci-fi stuff as well, wouldn't he? Yeah, The Green Mile. Yeah. 
Misery, More I love Misery. James Kahn, Kathy Bates. He's got... I mean, four of his books were made into films last year. Wow. And there are four, eight, eleven films in production that were made are made from his books. Prolific. I wonder if he's actually writing all that stuff, or if it's just some ghost writer. <laughs> well, I know like James Patterson has to write some of his books with, well, most of them with other people because he physically doesn't have enough time to fulfil yeah. like, a book a week or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Um, so here's here's something legacy in a, in a 2011 piece entitled "25 Years of Stand By Me," writer Alex Hannaford opined that. For, for anyone older than about 33, Stand By Me remains one of the greatest films to come out of the 80s. It has a film that has a charm and depth that seems to resonate with each generation. That's it. That's a perfect way to sum it up. Nice, isn't it? It is the apex of the 80s kids movie. It is very coming of age. And I watched this when I was a maybe even younger than a teenager. So it was so... It had such an impact on me when I was a child at that age. But if someone hasn't seen this, go and see it because it is just magical. Yeah. And it's, there's this, we talk about sort of references in other films and stuff like that. And I'm just um, looking at something here. The Oscar nominated urban drama Boys in the Hood has several direct references to Stand By Me, including a trip by four young boys to see a dead body and the closing fade out of one of the main characters. The director, John Singleton, has stated that he included the references because he was a fan of the movie. That was really weird, actually, now you said that. Like, right at the end, this is spoiler again, right at the end of the film, um, the only two people that are left is, is Will Wheaton, uh, Gordy, and River Phoenix as Chris. And they sort of, you know, saying goodbye to each other for the summer or whatever. Yep. And as, as Chris walks away the narrator tells the story of how when he was a lot older, he um, basically broke up a fight in a cafe and got stabbed and died instantly. Wow. And then as, as he tells that story, River Phoenix basically just disappears. Jeez. And it's completely out of character with the entire film. That's, that's mad. To have this special effect. But I, I believe, again, if I remember rightly, the film starts with Richard Dreyfus sitting in a Jeep or whatever, and the newspaper on the passenger seat is the headline that is that the guy got stabbed and killed. Oh, right. So that sort of positions it and triggers the whole memory. And then the end of the film finishes with him finishing the book. Mad. And he oh. says a line, he says a line like, you know, we've never had friends like we were. When we yeah, were, yeah. There's anybody or whatever. That's great. And it's the legacy of that film just goes on and on and on. And something else that I'm, I've been looking at is. Apparently, the actors who auditioned for, for roles in, in the Stranger Things... Oh, yeah. They had to read lines from Stand By Me. Oh, brilliant. And one of the episodes was called The Body. Oh, brilliant. Which is I love Stranger Things. Stranger... To, the, to the source material. It's great, Stranger isn't it? Is so good. Fantastic. Right, let's finish Stand By Me. Give me the, um, the budget. I haven't got Scooby-Doo. That's good. I would have thought it'd be cheap. Like, there's no sets. It's all filmed on in outside and stuff. Uh, and the actors, I, I would have thought only a few of them were established in this. The cameos from Kiefer Sutherland and John Cusack are light. So, I don't know, three million. Eight million. 
Okay, more than 100% out, but I think I'm in the right ballpark. I think, I think that's in the ballpark, mate. And I, I wasn't old enough when this came out in the cinema, so I have no idea if it was a success, like if it was a film that people went to see. It's probably quite a bad, uh, hard shout for using it to... Um, was it a film that people went out to see? Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, 86, I mean, I was going to the cinema, um, and I remember this being out and people talking about it. Okay. I, I would have been, yeah. I mean, I was a young teenager then. But... 86 was a tough year. Labyrinth was out, so everyone was going to see that. Everybody would have gone to see Jim Jim Henson's um, animatronics in Labyrinth. And uh, I, I would have said like I say like I don't know 30 million, 40 million, um, bad. 35 million in the middle. Okay, so it's 52 and a bit. Not bad. No, nowhere near, but not thanks for the sympathy. Not bad. <laughs> the patronising. Yeah. Bad, Jack. Hand over the reins. Um, I, I, Eight million, fifty-two back. That's a success for yeah. a film. For a film where, let's be honest, it's not an action. Not a lot actually happens. It's just very well written. Yeah, it's just extremely well written. And it relaunched the song "Stand by Me," didn't it? It did. It did. Which is fantastic. I love that. I love "Stand by Me," mate, and I love that you've included it. Frankie, that's really good. Stoked about that. So that's four from me, three from you. Four from you, three from me. Okay, um, I'm going to give you my fourth one then. And this is probably my favourite film of all time. <laughs> okay. Um, so so this doesn't just squeeze in the top five it could be the top film of all time it could be the top film of all time for me and I, and I gotta say you know it's 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 a close call between this and um cannibal holocaust yeah i think i know what this is do you want to have a guess back to the future it is back to the future mate yeah come on and i, I can remember when this came out and i i just it was the buzz. It was the buzz. Michael J. Fox was doing Family Ties. So he was pretty big on TV, American sitcom. And so he was a household name, you know, big, big actor, big, big comedy thing, vehicle going on. And this film appeared and it had um, Christopher Lloyd in it as well, who had been in so many of my really, really favourite films as well. Michael <laughs> Yeah, I think that came after Back to the Future. Um, I think One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, mm. But anyway, um, yeah, and the How buzz... How old is he now? This... Hey? How old is he now? I don't know. It's... I'm sure he's still alive and he's still kicking around, but he's... He, he obviously always looked old, which is probably in his favour for yeah. like that's always been around. He's um, 81. Okay, not... Not that old. I thought he'd be older than that, actually. But he's been married five times. <laughs> Lad, Lad. <laughs> it's making the most of those looks, isn't he? Um, yeah. I think apparently, he's a really shy guy. He's just like quite unassuming. Anyway, um, this film came out, and it was just like it was the absolute buzz. And I remember it's like to go to the cinema to see this, you had to queue round the block, and it was kind of like. Where, where I grew up, you had two cinemas um, at opposite ends of a roundabout, and they were both showing the film, and like the queues got intermingled, 
like you didn't know which queue you were in and there were hundreds and hundreds of people queuing around this roundabout to see this film in two different cinemas it's like what showing we in for i've got no idea so it's kind of like one in one out yeah then i remember like you know speaking to my parents like oh we've got to go and see this film and um it was just the experience and it was everything that I expected it to be, you know, it, it was built up so much that I just thought there's no way this film could exceed the expectations. And going in and however long the film is, two hours, whatever, coming out just thinking, my God, that was one of the best times I've ever spent at the cinema. And back to back, just absolutely romps along. I, you know, I love the fact that it opens up with this sort of like, really like, what's going on? He's going into this, like, there's, there's the alarm clocks, always plugging in his guitar, throws yeah. himself across the room. Bang. And then he goes, shit, I'm late for school because the clocks are like 20 minutes uh, forward or something. So he's like, he's actually 20 minutes late. Yeah. And then he's got to like get on a skateboard and like um, Huey Lewis and the news kicks off and it's just like, Okay, this is this is a cracking start to a film, and then um, you know I just think not, the pacing, the storyline is just it's just lovely put together, and there's so many things about it. There's a fucking time machine they've made of a DeLorean. I know. Um, Where did that come from? Why why did they pick the DeLorean? Yeah, it's weird actually. I think I, I read somewhere that because uh, like, say say modern age wouldn't that be like picking like the Mazda RX-8 or something. Well, I th- and it is weird because the, the the whole DeLorean story is a bit weird, wasn't it? It was like this this bloke having a uh, a car plant in Scotland making this aluminium-bodied vehicle um, with gold-wing doors, and then they decided to use that as the time machine in Back to the Future. And I think there was... Um, when they were choosing the car... Apparently, Ford said to the studios, "Oh, we will pay you if you use a Ford Mustang." Yeah, and right. like, um, it was the director. Um, Back to the Future. Yeah, fuck. Um, I don't know, but I'm it's sure Robert Zemeckis, right? Um, Zemeckis, yeah. yeah, Robert Zemeckis apparently turned around and said, "Dr. Emmett Brown does not drive a fucking Ford Mustang." <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's a DeLorean for God's sakes. When they've the picked, they've obviously said, picked it because it's like uncool yeah yeah i mean it was just absolutely nuts i mean john delorean um completely bombed his company through the delorean cars and then i think he got caught up in some massive drug smuggling ring okay fbi so it was pretty dark and seedy so i I just love that nod to something really unusual i know that um i don't know how many are still around but they sell for quite a lot of money now and I'm a big fan of a YouTube channel by Colin Furs, which I know you've watched as well. The, the he's a sort of a a crackpot. He's almost a bit like Doc Brown, actually. He just makes crazy things on YouTube, oh, like that's brilliant. underground bunkers and sort of five meter high bikes and stuff. But he's, I think, he's just bought a DeLorean. Oh, really? Because it's appearing in his film, in his videos, and I don't know if he's bought it or oh, he's God. getting sponsored and they're renting one. I love that. I love that. I just love the whole DeLorean thing, and I, and I know like the Back to the Future made a DeLorean thing because of like the flux capacity of the time machine and what have you. But I mean, if somebody said, "Oh, do you want to go and buy a DeLorean and 
you know, I've got some money to buy. I'm like, yeah, I'll have a DeLorean on the drive. Yeah, why not? And I love well, I watch wouldn't? some of these car programs where they go and restore DeLoreans or they find like, you know, whether it's made up, but they find one in a barn and go, oh, it's not, not in bad nick, but we've got to now go and restore it. And I'm just like, that's amazing. I'm all in for that <laughs> just because it's got Back to the Future link. Apparently, um, it's just a film fact on this. I'm moving away from the DeLorean, but the script was put to the studio like over 40 times and they constantly knocked it back. And the reason being because in one scene when he first goes back um, in time, um, he wakes up, um, he gets knocked out by his granddad and wakes up in his mum's home in the bed and she falls in love with him. And they said, this is a film about incest. (laughs) (laughs) We can't, we can't have this film. So they had to like, constantly just put it back in front of the studio guys you're looking at the best part of 40 grand for a DeLorean 40 grand for a DeLorean like a a mint one I've only found two for sale in England oh right okay Um, can we ask ask our fans in Argentina or Australia what what DeLorean goes in different continents yeah and and maybe we can get a sponsorship going or or maybe a Patreon so you can sponsor the episodes and we'll use the money to buy a DeLorean Let's do that. I'll be like, we'll go on location on the DeLorean and do different episodes. That'd be good. Um, so we haven't actually spoken about the film at all yet, no, which but, is a but, good sign of how good it is. But I just think, well, do we need to speak about the film? I'm more interested about there's there's little like Easter eggs and gems in the film, and like the way it's done, it's like they have done it well. So you see, like the mayor become the mayor from the 50s. He's like down downtrodden black guy. He ends up being the mayor in the in in the present day. And there's like, it's just so well done. So in the in the opening sequence when he goes to the mall where the Libyans come with the with the nuclear um, whatever whatever it is the power, the, the bloody car. Um, I think it's called Twin Pines Mall, and you know when he goes for the first time, well for the only time he goes back to the fifties. He crashes through the barn and goes through a tree. It's obviously a tree that was at Twin Pines Mall. So when, yeah. he, when he comes back at the end and runs into the mall, it's called Lone Pine Mall. Yeah. Like, that's really nice. They thought about just something in there. It's just like, that's really good. Uh, mate, like, I've got so much nostalgia about this film as well. There, there's so many little things in it. The little only thing... There's the only thing... That, so the, the reason why this didn't make my list is I've seen it too many times. Oh... And it hasn't ruined it for me, but I must have watched it. I don't know. I can't. Is it not aged well, something like that. Sorry. Is it not aged well? I mean, no, I know... it has. I've just watched it so many times that it's not. What's with the life preserver? Um, <laughs> I just like, and I, and I love the Biff character. I love. I mean, it's just McFly. Crazy. Hello, McFly. And I love the fact that <clears throat> I think Huey Lewis has a cameo. And I think initially he turned it down and said, oh, it's a bit cheesy to have a band also doing a cameo in the film. But then they said, oh, you can be the guy. You know, when um, Marty McFly auditions for the um, the end of the um, um, season ball at the film, I think they're called the Pinheads. Huey Lewis is the guy with the speaker who's the auditioner who says, no way, you're just too darn loud. Yeah. Like, Great, you made it into the film, even though you said you weren't going to be in there. And it's like lovely nods to Eddie Van Halen and stuff like that. The well, he's in it as well, isn't he? Uh, well, he's, he's, um, it's really weird. So when he goes and tries to convince 
George McFly that aliens have landed because he's then got to go on a mission to ask his mum out. He goes into his bedroom with his like plutonium suit and his um, Sony Walkman and plays like Eddie Van Halen. And uh, Eddie Van Halen was in Van Halen. Eddie Van Halen wasn't an artist in his own right, I don't think. But I don't know, another thing about getting the rights to music in a film. And like, I think all of Van Halen said, well, what the hell is this about? We're not, we're not agreeing to it. It will cost too much money. So Eddie Van Halen went, don't worry, I'll just do you a couple of riffs on a guitar and you can use my name and have it. It's like, Oh, easy. wow. It's really good. That is just like, and there's a, there's a really, I talk about George McFly, who's Crispin uh, Glover, I think. Yeah. Um, apparently he's a really weird guy like okay. absolutely nuts and the i mean i think he plays a really good role like that sort of downtrodden loser who yeah. writes stuff and poetry and like you are my density <laughs> it's just like <laughs> classic like um apparently he he wasn't in the sequels um because something like he wasn't going to be paid enough money or something like that, and then refused to be in the sequels, but they had to use him in the sequels for the plot and the storyline. So he went to sue the studios for it, so they had to do an out-of-court settlement. And it was like for about a million quid or a million dollars. Absolutely nuts. But then he turns up, but then he bloody well goes and turns up in Hot Tub Time Machine. Yeah. <laughs> well, he obviously made a mistake there, isn't he? It's great. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know why he wasn't into, into, the, into, the, into the sequels. And I think there was something about... Um, the fact that the story in Back to the Future 1, he didn't like the fact that morally... It seemed to suggest that success can bring you money because when Marty McFly goes back, obviously his dad's a really successful author. They live in a really nice house. His his brother and sister are really like good kids. They've got like their own jobs, and one's a solicitor or something like that, and one's an accountant. They're all like living a really nice life, and it's just like I think he was like, oh, this is sending like the wrong message. So he just refused then to get involved with the rest of the Back to the Future films. Are you looking okay. something up? Have I got that wrong? If you're looking it up, tell no, me. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just trying to. I'm trying to find out. I'm trying to find out tactically who played George McFly in, in Back to the Future Two. Then. And I, I, I don't know, <laughs> and I don't know if it was like um, they had to have like somebody wearing a mask. How do they do it then? I think somebody wore like a a Crispin Glover mask or something like that. I don't know. Absolutely mad. I don't know. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to look up Back to the Future two and three Crispin Glover. The reasons why. Well, how, I. I haven't really talked about the plot or why or anything. I mean, I've talked about why I thought it was great because it's just lovely, and I and I just love the the end of Back to the Future when. Um, you think everything's just nicely wrapped up and then Doc Brown comes back and goes, um, Marty, Marty, you got to come with me. It's like, what, what, what? I've only just come back. It's like, 
well, is, 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 is there something wrong with us in the future? It's like, no, it's not you, it's your kids. <laughs> it's just like, it's. And he goes, what are you going on? And he, like, and he gets this food blender called um, Mr. Fusion and just puts like some bananas and like some coke in it. It goes, rubbish. Yeah, and it's like, hey, doc, don't, don't you need a backup? There's, you know, there's not enough space. It's like, well, we're going, we don't need roads. And it's just like, <laughs> that is great. I absolutely love it. And that. then the, the car lifts up, doesn't it? Yeah. It flies off. I mean, it looks really dated now, but it's just like absolutely buzzed. And coming out of the cinema, you're just like, I want more. Yeah. Now. Um, well, mate, well, before we move on then, we don't have to move on because my next choice was Back to the Future 2. Wow. Great. <laughs> Because because Amazing. I I I, th- I thought you would pick Back to the Future and also okay I I as a kid growing up watching this seeing what the future might look like yeah away with the hoverboard the Nike oh, trainers so things in it I mean all of that has aged really well apart from the hat that he wears which is this horrendous like metallic hat I didn't like his um I didn't like his coat with the really long sleeves either that was like oh, yeah. oh, that really Mate, before we do um, Back to the Future Two, we need to give you need to give me the year of Back to the Future, and you need to give me the budget and the box office. So I'm gonna go. I reckon, I reckon 1986 could be the best year for films. So I'm gonna go for 86 again. So 1985. Oh, close enough that I'm happy. Yeah, definitely within one year. So budget. I have absolutely no idea. Um, Stand By Me was five. No, Stand By Me was eight. Elephant Man was five. I know this is going to be more than that. Yeah, it's definitely more. 30? 19. Mm. That's pretty That's pretty good. That's pretty good, 19, though. Um, What do you think this made at the box office? Maybe like 200 or something, 250 million. It's a pretty crazy figure. 300, 288. Holy shit. Yeah, holy shit. But that, that nearly cost as much as the Avengers. I mean, that nearly took in as much as the Avengers cost. Crazy, isn't it? That is mental. Right, we were doing Back to the Future 2. So straight on to Back to the Future 2. This, yeah. For all the same reasons. And I'm... I'm um... You've always said you've always said this is your favourite one, though, haven't you? Yeah, I just since I've known you, this has been your favourite one. It's because of because they they go to the future, and the future seems more appealing to me than the fifties. Okay. Um, and like I said, I, I must have seen Back to the Future so many times that the whole clock tower scene got a bit tired for me, even though it's great. But the the, the fact that Biff's involved with the the almanac. Yeah, so um, good. And he's like a multi-millionaire. I remember watching this for the first time thinking, oh, I'm a little bit confused, where's this going? And then it's like, I, I was obviously younger, and like the penny kind of drops, and then you've got to like, kind of sort of like put things together a little bit. I mean, there's... So talk about um, visions of the future. So there are some nice bits in there, aren't there? Um, the hoverboard that you mentioned... Um, there's like the holographs above like some of the buildings and the news reporting and stuff like that. You've got the police officers who sort of like have scrolling LED caps and things like that. Yeah, and you've got um, the, there's FaceTime in the house. We're like FaceTime in the house. There the you phones go. are bigger, and yeah. they have a fax machine in them. But you know, predicting the future, that there's 
silly little things as well. Like um, I think there's a herb garden in the kitchen, <laughs> like on a, like a platform. And there's like, I think do they have a pizza that is like this the size of a pound coin? And they put it in like a rehydrator, <laughs> perfect pizza. That is great. I love that. Um... And the hoverboard, obviously. Everyone needs everyone needs to go out and buy a pair of Nike mag trainers and a hoverboard there's a there's a great clip you sent to me about um the fake um returning a pair of nike mags into a shop yes whether people recognize them or not and like yeah. it's great you, you know just like the video shows that you know in certain stores some some of the um the, the staff really know their stuff and they're yeah. just like oh my god that's a pair of nike mags 30 grand or something how much is a pair of Nike mags? So you reckon? So would you rather have a DeLorean for forty thousand? Nike mags are going to be like. I think they're like thirty grand. You're joking. So yeah. they're almost as much as a DeLorean. Yeah, because they they only made like I don't know two hundred of them or something. Jesus. So they they couldn't have made that many DeLoreans, could they? <laughs> oh, I've just found some Crispin Glover info. He sued the filmmakers as he had not granted permission to use his likeness in part two. Oh. Oh. All oh, right. So he ended up dropping the lawsuit after the case was settled out, out of court for $765,000 by Universal's insurance company. Fair enough. All oh, right. The Screen Actors Guild subsequently introduced new rules about illicit use of actors. Fair enough. Sorry. Completely uh, digress there. I've got another great fact about this. And it's according to Michael J. Fox, whether it's true or not, I don't know. So he found out there was going to be a sequel to Back to the Future because, you know, when it says to be continued at the end of the film, yeah. that wasn't actually in the cinema. Oh. I don't think they had agreed it then. But by the time it came out on VHS, they added to be continued. That is brilliant. And then Michael J. Fox apparently watched the video and at the end of it he saw Back to the Future to be continued. And then... Um, he, he had no idea, so he immediately called his agent to make sure he was in the, in the sequels. <laughs> and you, you can't so imagine good. him not being in them, right? Yeah, you can't, I mean, it, it would have just ruined it forever. Yeah. That's some dark stuff in Back to the Future too, as well, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, there's the abuse of his mum by Biff, which is yeah. like, that's nasty. Yeah, it, it's all, it all kicked off, but... Um, uh, what what more can you say? Like Back to the Future Three is shit. Oh shit, it's good. Hang on a minute. <laughs> it's good, but it's shit compared to the other two. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's 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 almost like feels. I don't know. Does it wrap it up? It kind of does, doesn't it? Weekly. Weekly. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a massive fan. There's some, there's some good stuff in Back to the Future 3, and I'm, I'm, I'm pleased you mentioned it because it's not in my top five and it's obviously not in yours. But I like, I kind of like some of the references, the way he calls himself Clint Eastwood. There's, yeah. there's references to, um, do you know, like the, 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 uh, the Toyota pickup truck in Back to the Future? There's, and it's by Joe Stadler or something like that. They reference all that stuff in in the Wild West. So he he's like a cobbler or a shoemaker or something oh, like okay. that. Wild West and stuff like that. So, I don't know, just little nods on there. All about the clock tower and how they build the clock tower. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's okay, but let's not talk about it. I'd rather talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's good, isn't it? And I, I, I just like the way that you know, Biff gets that almanac and how they get hold of it. And Biff realizes the moment he realizes the power of it, and he's like, yeah. his his dad or his granddad or whoever it is, but it's, it's his older self, if you like, comes back like, you bloody dumb ass! I'm trying to tell you the power of this bloody sporting yeah. thing. It's like, duh. <laughs> There's um, I saw a great picture online of uh, the actor that plays him. Oh yeah. Now looks exactly like Biff looks in Back to the Future too. <laughs> That's brilliant. Like as the old Biff. Apparently, Biff the the, the alternative uh, version of Biff in the film was loosely inspired by Donald Trump. Oh wow. Brilliant. That's good. Um so so I'm glad you've not got Back to the Future 3. Um yeah. But I, we could easily talk I think for a long time about uh the trilogy, but yeah, I think it's great that you got a Back to the Future in there as well. You know, it's one of my favourite films. I know, it's so in there. brilliant. Save me having to have one. That's great. Hopefully, everyone knows about it as well. Yeah. Um. So, Back to the Future two quick year of year is made and budget and box office. So, what was the what was the budget for Back to the Future? Nineteen. Nineteen. So thirty eight. Um. Give me the year it was made. Oh, uh, a so back to the future is 89. Oh, bigger gap. Um, the budget you said was thirty-eight. Yeah, it's actually forty. Doubled it. Yeah, I knew they double it. They always double it for the second one. Um, how much did this make at the box office? So back to the future took three hundred and eighty. Three hundred and something. Yeah, three hundred. Don't know if this would be as much, but could it have the momentum of the first? Three hundred. Yeah, it's three hundred and thirty-six. Okay, so well, not that far off from the first. Yeah. But not as successful, interestingly. Yeah, but still massive profit. That's what did the third take? Out of interest. Um, bothered. <laughs> <laughs> They're making a musical of this, by the way. Do you know that? Shit, they are, aren't they? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, it could be absolutely horrendous. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, so, Back to the Future Part 3, 1990, because they were made back-to-back, weren't they? Okay. Um, budget for that was, again, 40. So, exactly the same, and made about 240. Oh, Still, so, not bad, but a lot less. Big film. Amazing. Ah, that's good. So, that leads us to our final film of the 80s. Your, your final shot. How are you going to top Back to the Future? The Goonies, Stand By Me, Labyrinth. What, what, what are you going to say? It better not be as bad as the craze. <laughs> you're, not, you're never going to forgive me for putting that one in, no. are you? Um, so, uh, I'm excited. How can I build this one up? I might, I might just have to go straight in and tell you what it is. Um, I, I probably should have left Back to the Future for for my final film because it's my favourite film. But anyway, this this was just one of those ones where when I first watched it, I was I was really blown away. I mean, I was just like, this is this is horrendous vision of the future. Um, okay. But not actually set in the future. Okay. The film is. The Terminator. Oh wow! And I was just like, okay, 
this is dark, it's claustrophobic, there's a great like soundtrack. It's just yeah. like this this is evilness incarnate. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Nasty. And um obviously Arnold Schwarzenegger doing his his thing as a um a cyborg sent from the future. What is it with time travelling films? God. You obviously like a bit of time travel. Yeah. Um, back from the future to save Sarah Connor, right? Or to kill her? He's sent from the future to kill Sarah Connor because she's the mother of Kyle Reese, who is the leader of, well, the humans, I suppose. Um, because he's from Skynet or something. This has always confused me. So he's a baddie. Yep. But he's a goodie in the second one. Yep, and actually, he's. I think in there's like um, there's some award or something for goodies and baddies. He's the only actor to have re- received award for uh, a goodie and a baddie. I can't remember what it's called. Uh-huh. I don't know if it's like the Academy Award or something like that. But yeah, this yeah. is such a good film though. Like, what what category would you put this in? Because is it sci-fi? Is it action? Well, it's made. It's obviously made in the eighties. I think IMDb Dan have it, have it as an action sci-fi. Yeah. Oh, uh, there you go. <laughs> Not a sci-fi action, an action sci-fi. I would just call it a futuristic neo-noir thriller. Robot time travel film. Blade Runner, eh? Robot time travel. Robot time travel, if you like, yeah. Um, and it's just, yeah, there's the setup's not a lot. I mean, this guy just appears out of nowhere in a bubble. There's a, there's a dump Naked. truck driver who goes, what the hell, what the real bright light? And then... <laughs> He just he just has this fight with some punks, and one of the punks is um is it Will Bill Paxton? He's one of the punks. I don't know. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember. So that's one of I mean, his. The first quotes, ones. mate. The quotes are in this film. I want your I want your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycles. It's like I think I and obviously this is where I'll be back came from as well. Actually, talking about lines, how many lines do you reckon Arnie has in the whole of this film? Obviously, not many then, but I don't know what I don't know what. The, the normal amount of lines are for a film. Or um, even for Arnie. Can you do your best Arnie uh, medley? <laughs> no, maybe, maybe I haven't had a drink. Uh, I'll have to, there, there's a great YouTube video, probably about 10 minutes of just Arnie quotes Brilliant. Um, that people need to watch. Um, so, I don't know, a hundred. He's got 14 lines. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? But, uh, but I think it's done on purpose because he wanted to, you know, he uh, he obviously wanted to, I wouldn't say he's like doing a Daniel Day-Lewis sort of uh, character um, acting, but he really wanted to get into the robotic sort of thing. So it's like very delivered in a in a very sort of uh, robotic way, which probably suits Arnie's acting as well. So it's kind of yeah. like really good. Um, so flipping, flipping very quickly back to Back to the Future. I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, it was Back to the Future Day when it was, you know, whatever it was, the 29th of October, yes. 2000. Yeah. So term- we can't be far off from the Terminator. I think this is set in, I think it's set in 2029, so it's only nine okay. years away. Not so far off then. There's still time. Yeah, that'll be good. Uh, <laughs> good when that comes around. It's good though, but I mean, I, I love those like little nods and stuff like that. Apparently Mel Gibson was up for the role as the, uh, the Terminator. Oh my God, can you imagine if he got oh. that? That'd it's got to be like there's no nothing, nobody else than Arnie. The thing is, I think he was there because he was doing the Mad Max stuff at the time, and I think I remember seeing like James Cameron, who's the director, really liked 
the Mad Max stuff because it's like Australian dystopian stuff going on. But I think Mel Gibson turned around and said, really pleased that he didn't do the role because Arnie just like absolutely nailed it. And it probably, I think Arnie was doing like Conan and um, a few other things, but this probably set him up as a real superstar. Yeah. Um, apparently Sting was offered the role of Kyle Reese and and OJ Simpson was also offered the role of the Terminator as well. Really yeah. weird. Can imagine, you imagine like, that? Sliding doors. Can you imagine if, like, the, if, if someone like you was responsible for casting in these films, how they would have ended up after your Batman guesses? <laughs> yeah, thank God I don't work in film, mate. So, yeah, it's really good. But there's lots of other things going on. I think Linda Hamilton, who plays Sarah Connor, married James Cameron as well, so they got together. Oh, wow. And I actually talk about the Hurt Locker. Catherine Bigelow, I think, directed that. I think she married James Cameron. This incestuous industry, yeah. the old movie industry. Um, and there's, like, little nods. So in, there's, a, there's a really threatening bit where Arnie, or Terminator, Gets, steals a car, he goes to the first Sarah Connor's house and crushes a toy truck in the road before he gets out of the car. And at the end of the film, if you remember, he, he, he gets like crushed by a truck and it's the same make and model as the one. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll have some of that. It's like revenge by the truck. So was this Cameron's first film? No, I think he'd done other things. I don't know. I have to do some research on this. Let me have a look. Because he's not done many films, has he? Well, James Cameron, Aliens, The Abyss. Yeah, but I think every film he's done has been pretty good, but I don't think he's done many. Oh, right. Let's have a look. James Cameron, director. Uh, what has he done? Avatar, Titanic, Terminator 2. Big film, big film, big film. True Lies. Oh, okay. Um, uh, what else has he done? Yeah, I mean, that he, he's got some big films, doesn't he? Yeah, but did he actually do oh, this? This, I, this frightened me when I was younger because it is quite dark, and this was must have been an eighteen or whatever at the time, and I was never allowed to watch this. So, yeah, I mean, I wasn't allowed to watch it, and this was one of those films. It was on a pirate video, doing the rounds. I managed to get a copy, um, and when I watched it, I was frightened. I was literally fried. And here's a weird one. Age-appropriate films. I got my 11-year-old to watch this not long ago with a mate of, it, mate of his, and they laughed all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> they laughed. They just said, the acting's awful, the makeup's terrible, the special effects are dire. And I'm just yeah. like, yeah, but you've seen The Terminator, so that's it cool. It wasn't at the time. Now at the time it was awesome. I can remember like the scenes of the the future where like there's like massive um, machinery, like with guns, like crushing skulls and stuff like that. And like there's a bit when they're all underground and like they're being shot at. And I'm just like, fucking hell, this is this is grim. I remember thinking, how the hell did they do the bit when they put the cigar out on him right at the beginning? You oh, know, yeah. like, just probably like either a fake cigar or a foam chest. But when I was younger, I was like, oh my god, look at that. And like he scrapes his eyeball out and then does his mechanics in his arm. Apparently, there's a story where Arnie finished that scene with the eyeball and the, and the mechanics in his arm. He forgot that he was wearing his makeup and walked to the local cafe and ordered a <laughs> coffee and bacon roll or something and full like eyeball out robot endoskeleton. He's Thank done a few. He's done a few um, pranks that you can see on the internet of him oh, really? dressing up in full 
Terminator gear and like going down the Hollywood Walk of Fame with all the like the the act the you know the street performers that are dressed as him as well. Oh really? Yeah, or, or he goes cool. to like Madame Two Swords and pretends to be his own Terminator statue yeah. and freaks people out. It's really funny. That's so good. Um, I was going to mention the James Cameron films here. So he started in 1978 with um, Xenogenesis, did Piranha 2: The Spawning, and then went into the Terminator. Then he went on to do Rambo, Aliens, something called Martini Ranch, don't know, The Abyss, Terminator 2. And I'm just like, you know what, I went to the cinema to see Terminator 2. And when I came out of the cinema, I was just like, that's the best thing I've ever seen. Might have even beat Back to the Future. But I was just like, what a sequel. What an incredible follow-up film. Yeah, so I've just found... I've just found another article, actually, which is... I don't know how I feel about this, but this is James Cameron's unrealised projects. Oh, yeah. These are the films that he has tried to direct. Jeez. Or it's not worked out, wow. and he's not directed it. So, Rambo Part 2. So he didn't do Rambo Part 2? Wolverine and the X-Men. Okay. Jurassic Park. Spider-Man. Planet of the Apes. These, these are all, these, this is stuff that were made, but he didn't do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, True Lies 2, Alien 5. <laughs> I just wish they'd let... Aliens, I wish they'd leave it alone. And I wish they'd leave the Terminator alone or just let James Cameron do it because it's quite yeah. a project now. Untitled Avatar prequel. Okay. Oh, to be honest, I wasn't a massive fan of Avatar. And I yeah. went to the cinema to watch that and I came out going, meh. Well, I, I watched it in the cinema like in 3D and it blew my mind. But it is just a really sort of basic... Um, I reckon if you go to like the you know film school or whatever, it's the basic plot circle of, you know, hero goes through something bad, comes good, wins the girl, saves the world. But it's like, oh, Especially James Cameron, do you, do you want to make this film? And it's going to have the highest budget ever. And it's going to be the rebirth of 3D. Yeah, okay, I'll do that. Yeah, exactly. There's but, bad stuff about the abyss that he made as well, about how much that cost to make. And I think he's really into his subaquatic stuff and going down to the bottom of the ocean. It's, okay. just like, it's a pet project of his. I'm, anyway, I'm, really, talking... I'm fascinated that you've got two time travel films. It's <laughs> a bit weird, isn't it? You'll have to see in future episodes what comes up. Mm, unless I've been there already. Um, um, when you've gone to the future and this is the most successful podcast of all time. I just, yeah, if only. Actually, we've already done it, Jack. It was a failure, and now we're doing it for the fifth time. Just okay. Um, I just wanted, there's just a, like, a little trivia fact about the Terminator, just to finish this off. Um, do you know when Arnie goes, <coughs> goes into the police um, station, <clears throat> and like, he just, like, he's, he's going through attacking to get Sarah and Carl Reese, or Sarah Connor, and one of the cop goes, there's 30 police officers in here. Now, apparently, if you count up, the body count is exactly 30. Good. It's just like, don't put a line in there if you can't back it up. Yeah, continuity. Attention right. to detail. Well done, James. <laughs> okay, mate. So, um, do you want to have a little guess at the budget? I think this is going to be quite hard. So, the year it was made and then the budget. The so, box. I haven't got a clue again. I I just wanted by default all these great films. I want to say eighty six, but I think it was earlier than eighty six. Yeah, it's a bit earlier um, than eighty six, mate. Eighty, uh, eighty two, eighty four. Ah, 
not massively earlier. There's so many great films being made. People, just to re recount the 80s stuff about people saying it was a bad era, a bad decade. I mean, The Terminator, Aliens, shut up. Stand yeah, who said that? Come on, find out who said it. Bring him here. Right, 1984. How much was this bad boy made for? I would have thought it would be quite expensive. Um, uh, 25 million? 6.4 million. You are kidding me. You are having a giraffe. No, that's great, isn't it? Bearing in mind, it was one of an early, it was an early Arnie film. It was an early James Cameron film. Linda Hamilton was probably an unknown. Yeah, but the special effects, the makeup, the blowing shit up. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. That is, that is value for money, that is. Well, depending on what it made, how much do you think it made? Um, uh, again, I don't know if this is one of those things that was successful or not, but it, it would become successful over time. Um, 100 million? 78 and a half. Hmm. Right. That surprises me. That's good. But, I mean, commercial success, What did you? how much did you say the budget was? Six, Six million? So, commercially, oh. I think that's a success, isn't it? But not that big in terms of box office. No, not Back to the Future territory, is it? But bear in mind, I think back in the day, when you made an 18 film, it really hammered your box office receipts. No, oh, okay. Because not everyone could go and see it. You know, if you think about all the Avengers films and stuff like that, they want to make sort of gory, hard-hitting, odd swear word in there, but they're all being released as like 12 A's. Yeah, okay, I see what you mean. Um, Great. So, mate, this has been, if if not my favourite episode, so... Definitely um, one of my favourite episodes. I feel mate. like we've rushed parts because I think we could have easily spent a lot longer covering a lot more things. Hardly, hardly actually talked about the films themselves, just like the little bits in there, which yeah. I think um, makes them last and stand out over time. So, yeah, it's great, mate. So, a new feature for the podcast, I think we should weave in the one to watch. A one to watch, yeah. Your good. list of five, what is your one to watch that you recommend people go and, go and see? And it just depends what you want, because I've got like a bit of a coming of age. I've got an action, I've got aliens in there. Breakfast Club, the coming of age one. Aliens, which is obviously sci-fi to so terminate. That's a double up, really. It's got to be Back to the Future, mate. It's yeah. got to be Back to the Future. What's yours, buddy? I'm going to say Stand By Me, because I don't me. think too many people would have seen that. Stand By Me stands the test of time as well, mate. Just yeah. a gorgeous piece of work. Thank you for bringing that to my attention again. I'm definitely <laughs> of that, and I'll probably get my kids to watch that as well. And I think they're really enjoying it. I like it. it. It's a slow burn, but I think I'll have a go. Okay, mate, so next time we're going to do maybe something a bit left field. Die too soon. <laughs> yeah, die too soon, which I can't put stand by me in again for River Phoenix. But, no. um, yeah, what, I mean, what do you fancy for next time? Don't know. There's lots of genres to get through. Um, 1930s, probably quite limited on films. Yeah, great. Visual episode. <laughs> um, films that Michael Bay has ruined. Oh, well, that could be a long episode. <laughs> yeah. Um... We'll have a think then and let's catch up. Yeah, okay, mate. Let's have a chat. Lovely to see you. Good chat, I really enjoyed this. Thank you, mate. Take All right, mate. Bye.